podcast. It's called the Matthew West Podcast. I really hope you like it. Hello, my friends. Welcome to a special bonus episode of the podcast, the very first bonus episode for the Matthew West podcast. That's exciting. We're venturing into new territory, breaking new ground. And the reason for this bonus episode is because the conversation that I got to have with my friend John Steingart, the former lead singer of Christian band Hawk Nelson, it was just so compelling that while we were talking, I just felt in my heart that I wanted you, the listener, to hear the whole conversation, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And that's why you're going to hear a very important final portion of our talk together in today's bonus episode. But first, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that means you probably missed yesterday's episode. And in that case, you got to stop listening to this one and... That's that's my sound for rewind. Forget it. You get the idea. You got to go back and listen to yesterday's episode first, because I want you to get the full heartbeat of this conversation. And here's what you're going to hear, a conversation between two guys who have very similar upbringings. We're grown-up preacher's kids, and we even chose similar career and ministry paths, singing about Jesus all around the world. And yet today, John and I find ourselves seeing the world from different vantage points, because recently John has made the public announcement that he no longer believes in God. So, Here's two former preacher's kids who now believe very different things, and yet imagine this. We're able to sit down and have a conversation filled with love and understanding, or seeking greater understanding. In a year of 2020, where the world's at each other's throats, we'd rather shout than listen. I think conversations like this are important. My hope in this talk is that you're going to be challenged to go deeper in your faith, to know what you believe and why. And that's why after this very important talk with John Steingart, I want you to stick around because my dad, who's been a pastor for over 40 years, is going to bring a powerful word of dad advice. He's walked with people through many different crises of faith, and I think he's got a very encouraging word to leave us all with. So, Without further ado, let's get into this bonus episode. We're going back to the story house with my friend, John Steingart. I was basically in this very nihilistic place of, if God is not real, nothing means anything. That wasn't a welcome, fun place to be. It was really horrifying. And it took me a long time to sort of work my way out. There actually ended up being a couple of really positive things out of it. For one, I've never been more present with my kids than I am now because every moment with them is so precious because I'm living in this enhanced sort of like awareness of how limited my time with them is. So that's one of the things that's interesting to me too is for me as a dad and a lot of people that I would talk to is like becoming a father. The simplest way I could put it is I felt like becoming a father strengthened my belief that there's a God, Hmm. my belief that he's the ultimate creator of incredible things Mm -hmm. with one in a million, one in a trillion fingerprint. Mm -hmm. And it brought me to maybe the deepest place of dependence on a guidance other than my own mind. Yeah, Because all of a sudden now I've been handed these lives. I get that. So what's really interesting to me is that in the midst of having a two-year-old and a three-year-old, you're in this journey 
it's so interesting how two different people, right? We have similar, mm -hmm. but that experience alone, yeah. becoming a dad had the opposite effect for yeah. me in terms of deepening my belief in God. Yeah. I've been reading a lot recently from a lot of different perspectives, but I also have been careful to make sure I'm still reading stuff from Christian perspectives because I don't want to just dismiss it out of hand because that's where I come from and assume that I know everything about it. So mm. like some of the philosophical arguments for God, one of the most interesting ones to me is the intelligent design argument, which is basically, if you look at DNA, it's basically code. The code that exists in our DNA is millions of lines long. And it's a little bit of a challenge to imagine that that just sort of happened. Yeah, like I've always felt like, man, that feels like that takes more faith. Yeah. And maybe it's because of my childhood too, but I've always felt like, yeah, even when I finally came to a moment where I was like, I got to make my own decision. This sure. isn't my dad's decision. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it takes more. There's two cliffs I'm about to jump off of. I could choose which one. Yeah. Which one's going to have deeper water for me to land in? There's an apologist named Frank Turek that wrote a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And he's sort of talking about some of the same stuff that you just said. Like, in order to believe that there's no God, you have to believe that, you know, massive number upon massive number of improbable things came to be in order for us to be here. Hmm. So that's a pretty good argument. My question to that is like, well, does that just basically indicate that we're not good at fathoming big numbers? <laughs> <laughs> That's not really that important to this conversation. But when it comes to my kids, I do remember when my son was born, it was sort of an emergency C-section. It was this really traumatic thing. Luckily, my wife made it and my son made it, but that wasn't at all guaranteed during the process. It, things got kind of bad there for a while. Wow. I remember holding my son and thinking, I don't understand how someone could experience having a child and not believe in God. I remember thinking that. So very similar moment as me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember thinking that. And that still sort of haunts me. I have days where I'm like, maybe I do believe in God. Yeah. And then I have days where I'm like, no, I don't think I do. It's really, really strange, man. But it's what we were talking about earlier. I mean, your your letter was just an indication of a journey that you're on. And here's what I respect is like all the searching that you're doing. I bet the average Christian, if they're being honest, you know, maybe doesn't ever challenge themselves to really make that kind of decision of, am I willing to really dig in and study my faith and study what I believe and why I believe it? I've spent so much time studying the last couple of years, arguments for God, arguments against God, you know, philosophy. I've learned way more about scripture than I ever knew. And yet I still find that on a strictly rational level, it could go either way for me. It sort of leads me to ask a question that maybe is a more important question. What's that? Rather than the question, does God exist? The question, what happens in your life when you believe that he does, huh. is maybe a more interesting question for me. Because if we can't know for sure, rationally or empirically or scientifically or whatever, then we sort of have to start making decisions in our lives based on other things, right? Like if we can't know for sure, then we kind of got to go like, well, I got to live my life somehow. And so then the question is, well, how do I live my life? When I approach Jesus and Christianity and scripture with that lens, man, a lot of what Jesus taught is very compelling. 
I'm someone that believes that a lot of the things that are attributed to Jesus in the Bible, a lot of the things that are the sayings that are attributed to him, and I word it that way because I don't believe that we can know for sure that that's exactly what he said. But a lot of the things that he is supposed to have said are things that if you deploy them in your life, I do think they make for a more meaningful life or they can. In that sense, I sort of ask the question, well, like, if I'm not sure what I believe metaphysically about God and Jesus and all that stuff, but if I look at the Jesus that we talk about in Christianity, the stories about him are stories about someone that's worth emulating. Man, we can 100%. I mean, the Jesus who stooped down in the dust and wrote with his finger while the crowd was ready to stone the woman caught in the act of adultery. Mm -hmm. And he saw the trap for what it was. And he saw a woman whose worst mistakes were literally dragged out into the street. The Jesus who told the accusers, hey, if you've never sinned, you go ahead and throw the first stone. And then he goes to that woman, that shame, guilt-ridden woman and says, where are they? Where are your accusers? They're gone? Well, I don't accuse you either. Now go Hmm. and sin no more. I mean, like what you're talking about, like that Jesus, you know what I mean? Yeah. The one who says, hey, love the least of these, (laughs) you know, um, love others as yourself. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The Jesus related story that's the most meaningful to me right now involves the disciple of Thomas. Doubting Thomas, as they would refer to him, right? Yeah. So the stories are a little bit different depending on which gospel you read, but There's a story of the resurrected Jesus appearing to the disciples, and Thomas still doesn't believe, even though Jesus is right in front of him. And so Jesus puts his hand out and says, Thomas, touch. And to me, that's grace, because Jesus could have said, Thomas, I'm right here, man. (laughs) Like, I'm right in front of you. How could you not believe? You are ridiculous. But he had patience with Thomas, and he recognized that Thomas needed something more. He could have said that it's not right for him to want something more, but instead he offered something more and he said, Thomas, touch. And he did say, all these other people believed before touching me, or it would be better if you could just believe. Right. But instead of shaming Thomas, he... He still offered. Yeah. And he went that extra step with Thomas. So... Are you seeing yourself in that story? Is that what you're getting at? Like, just that you feel like you're needing more than maybe some others in terms of Jesus revealing himself. Yeah, I read that story and I see the grace in it and I still don't know what to believe about God and about Jesus. Mm. But I love that story because it indicates that like if he is there and if Jesus was God and if all of this stuff is true, that there's something in Jesus's nature that wants to take the extra step to someone because Thomas doubted, but he wanted to believe. He wanted to. Exactly right. And no, that's awesome. And so I look at that and I go like, man, sometimes people ask me in this process, you know, are you afraid of going to hell? I watched the video you posted about that. Yeah. And I, I'm not because I'm not rejecting God. I'm rejecting the image of God that I had, which I think was really flawed. And now I'm going, if God is real, what is God and who is God and how can I know more? And I don't feel like God, if he's real, would reject someone who's genuinely looking for him. Mm. And that's what I see in the story of Thomas. It's like that scripture that I referenced about, like, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Like, I believe the same thing. I believe the same thing you just said, that would he reject somebody 
who's genuinely searching. There's no failure, no fall, there's no sin you don't already know. So let the truth be told. My favorite book of all time is The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Have you read it? Yeah, dude, you're such a deep thinker. I respect that about you. Because when I read C.S. Lewis, I feel like I have to read it like it's like taking cough medicine for me and I need yeah. I need to chase it with a Sprite or something. Like I got to read C.S. Lewis and then a comic book. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. In all seriousness, I got to read C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce, five times yeah. before I can really- And it's, it's not just, a big book either. But it's solid food. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. not, a, it's not a milkshake. So the thing I love about C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, and it's one of the smallest, shortest books he probably ever wrote, but he paints this picture of heaven and hell. And from the outset, he says, you know, I don't, I'm not saying this is actually what it's like, but it feels like there's something here. And basically in the story, like people are able to travel up to heaven in like a bus from this place that's sort of hell-ish. And they're invited to stay in heaven if they want to. But in heaven, they find that their bodies are insubstantial. They're like see-through phantasmic bodies that don't have any real substance in this place of heaven where, where there's finally real substance. And so like they step on blades of grass and they're like knives on their feet because they don't have enough substance to bend the grass yet. Hmm. And each person is met by someone already in heaven. And it's usually a surprise. It's like, oh, wow, you're here? I didn't think you'd be in heaven, you know, like that kind of thing. And each chapter has a conversation with someone who's basically being invited to participate in heaven. And they eventually, each conversation, for the most part, the people decide to leave heaven because they're unwilling to let go of the thing that they'd have to let go of in order to stay. Whether it's a certain perception of what right and wrong is or what they deserve or you know, one person is met by someone who was a murderer and the person's like, well, I'm not going to stay in heaven if you're here. That's ridiculous. Mm. And what I love about that picture of heaven, and I hope that this is true about God, if God's there, I hope that this is true about him, that we are invited into this relationship or this place or, or whatever it is. And the only thing keeping us from it is the things we're unwilling to let go of. I look at that and I go, okay, the only thing I need to do is be willing to let go and be willing to not cling to any particular idea that I have and perception of who I am and what I deserve or anything like that. If I'm willing to embrace whatever vision of the divine comes at me, then maybe I'll be okay. The story of the rich young ruler comes to mind as you talk about that. Yeah. You know, this guy wants to know, what must I do to inherit heaven? What must I do? And he had everything, but he could still tell something was missing. Mm -hmm. And he's asking Jesus, and Jesus knew that one thing which he was afraid to let go of. And <laughs> sell all you have and give it to the yeah. poor. Forget 10% tithing like the yeah. Old Testament. Yeah. Jesus went straight for, give it all. And what does it say? I mean... The resolve of that story, it did not resolve well. It did not end well. No. That person was willing to leave the promise of eternal riches because of that one thing which he could not let go of. Mm -hmm. uh, that's such a great point, man. John, I want to ask you one more question, sure. if, if you're cool. Yeah. In every episode of this podcast, there's a question that I'm 
wanting to ask each guest. And I almost wondered if like, well, maybe it's not an appropriate question with this conversation, but I'm going to ask it anyway, just because I think it's... Sure, just go for it. Well, what the question is, is I ask people, what's your Blue Couch story? And what I mean by that is, like on my last record, the cover is a picture of me sitting on a blue couch. And, you know, there are much cooler options for an album cover. (laughs) You know that with your artistic eye. But that blue couch has significance for me because it represents as a 13-year-old kid where like there was just a defining moment turning on the TV and like I was watching this Billy Graham crusade by accident. But something took place in that moment where it felt like it wasn't the family business anymore. Like something Mm -hmm. was really speaking to me. And Mm -hmm. I really believe in that moment that it was like God knocking at the door of my heart. It was just, it was an undeniable moment for me where my faith became real. And so what happens is a lot of times, just like we've talked about in this interview, this professional Christian storyline that plays out for guys like you and me, I'm on stage, I'm, you know, I'm looking the part and and some days, you know, you look up and you're like, man, I feel a million miles away from that blue couch moment Yeah, is my most passionate display of my relationship with God happening in front of people? And then am I becoming a different person? Am I punching a clock? Is this a job? Is this a belief? Yeah. Is this a lifestyle? And deep down in my heart, there's these times where I'm like, I want to go back to that. But one of the things that's been happening with me lately is feeling like, wait a minute, I feel like I've left God on that blue couch as if he's not still with me. And oh, interesting. so I don't know, that's been something for me where like, so I went and bought that blue couch. Oh, really? And I, and I like... That's so cool. And it's just been a, like, I don't know. It's just been kind of symbolic for me of a moment where I felt like God was real in yeah, a-, a moment that comes back to me in vivid detail when I feel like sometimes I'm far away. So... I love that, dude. That's cool. So how I would position that question to you is like, maybe just a defining moment in general. Obviously, your letter described a very defining moment in a different direction. Yeah. But you also described a beautiful moment holding your baby. Yeah. So as open as it is, I guess I would just ask you the same question. Is there a blue couch moment in your life that, and even if it is the letter or something like that, you're free to answer how you see fit. Yeah. Actually, I had a similar question that someone asked me. I have a friend named Sean McDowell and he's an apologist and an author and his dad is Josh McDowell, who wrote Evidence oh, yeah. That Demands a Verdict. Yeah. I actually got to know him during this time, and we've become good friends, which is sort of unexpected in this time. But he asked me a similar question. He was like, is there a moment in your life where you felt like God became real for you? The thing that, that I said to him, and I think is the best way for me to answer this question for you, is I'm asking God for that moment now. Wow. And I don't feel like I've had it. If he's there, I want it. You know, like, this is one of the things that I say when I'm talking with an atheist. They're like, why are you still talking about God? Why are you still? I'm, And I'm just like, well, at the moment, I don't know that God is there. But if he is, like, how could I not want to know? Yeah, it's good. You know, like, how yeah. can I not? So I find myself back to the topic of prayer, like when I pray, that's what I'm asking for. I'm asking for a blue couch moment. John, that's one, I want to thank you for such an honest answer, but also an honest conversation. And just for letting us see kind of beyond the letter that you posted. Yeah. Not that the letter, because I just think what a deep conversation and a deep well that is. And I'm leaving, even just chatting with you, like challenged to 
continue to dig in in my own faith and make sure that I'm not just settling for this surface level of belief. Oh, dude, that's awesome, man. The Bible talks about the difference between hot, cold, and lukewarm. And a lot of my songs are written out of the desire to swim my way out of the lukewarm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that's the journey of a lot of Christians too. You know, you start hot, (laughs) you wind up, you wind up somewhere along the way, like feeling lukewarm and I don't want to be there. And it seems like you're on a journey of going like, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. As a believer, I always read that story and I would think about like, oh, so God wants me to be hot and not lukewarm. Cool. But the part that we don't talk about is that cold is a totally acceptable thing to be in that story, which is interesting, yeah. right? Like, what is cold? Yeah, he represent? doesn't say nobody chooses cold. He right. says those are the options, right? So, what does cold represent in that metaphor? And that's sort of interesting. And so, yeah. <laughs> I look at that and I sort of go like, okay, one way or another, I am more obsessed with truth than I've ever been, and I'm more dissatisfied with just going through the motions than I've ever been. Yeah. To reference one of your songs. <laughs> I felt like bringing it full circle would be Dude. good. I know that's one of your old songs, so like I need to get some newer Matthew West references. I don't know why it's so hard to admit it When being honest is the only way to fix it There's no failure, no fall, there's no sin In a time where I think the world needs authenticity in a time where we're tempted to be anything but... This is a time where I'm feeling like more challenged than ever to be the authentically flawed human being that I am instead of trying to be that professional Christian who always has the right answer. And I think a lot of people who are listening to this, one, I know they're getting a lot out of this. Two, I hope somebody who's listening to this who is a believer in Christ, is a Christ follower, is a Christian, will be challenged to be the most authentic version of themselves to the world as well. And back to that quote that I read to you of just the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians Mm. who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And for what it's worth, I feel a challenge to like make sure that I'm you know, nobody's perfect. That's the reality here. Yeah. And I think there's been a lot of grace that's been spoken in this conversation too. And just that challenge of like, hey, what do I believe? Yeah. Why do I believe it? And then how can I interact with people who don't share the same mm-hmm. belief? How can I interact with the world from a place of authenticity, not being afraid to show that I have doubts sometimes or that I'm flawed or that I mess up because an unbelieving world simply finds a lot of the way we live, unbelievable. Yeah, and man, just to add to that, I think sometimes in Christian culture, we get this idea that like when we feel challenged, it means we got to try harder and we got to do better. And it's not like those things have no value, but what I find is that the push to be more authentic or like more open or more transparent, dude, it's freedom, man. Right. To go deeper in your faith doesn't mean to pretend better. It doesn't mean to put on a better face and to appear like a better Christian than I used to appear. I've got a friend that was a pastor and struggled with pornography a lot and then went in front of his church and talked about it. And the board of his church was extremely uncomfortable with it. Mm. And he actually is not the pastor of that church anymore. Wow. But there's a whole other thing, and I have gripes with the way that the whole thing was handled. But that's not important for the story. What's important for the story is that 
the number of people that have talked to him, like guys that struggle with pornography and came up to him and was like, I have never heard a pastor admit that. And that was powerful for them because his vulnerability, dude, yes. his vulnerability encouraged them that guess what? We are all imperfect. We're all wrestling with this stuff. We're all trying to figure out what's important about life and how we should live it. And none of us have it figured out. And the more honest we are with each other about that, the more freedom we live in and the more we can build each other up effectively and just stop pretending. Yeah, the voice in our head says letting that out will be followed by extreme doses of shame right. that will be unbearable. And the reality is, is that there's going to be a level of freedom that can be experienced. Yeah. Moreover than that, there will be an extreme levels of impact in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think too many times we decide which parts of our stories have value. Ooh. And that's the realities. And I'll tell you what, my journey of collecting people's stories, John, has shown me over and over again, that oftentimes it's the chapters of our stories that we think have no value. That for me as a believer in God, it's like, I feel like God's saying, no, 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 give me that. Give me that. That's interesting. Watch and be amazed how I speak through that. And I'll tell you something, John, as a preacher's kid, I was on the edge so many different times of going, dad, if these people call themselves Christians, How can they treat our family this way? Or Mm -hmm. how come the guy who prays the loudest in the church is the one that I know is having an affair? Mm -hmm. You know, as a preacher's kid, you just knew too much, no matter how much your parents tried to shield you. And I'm telling you, John, one thing that my dad said to me that always stuck with me, and I think brought me back from the edge sometimes when I was tempted to go, if this is what being a Christian looks like, then I want nothing to do with it. My dad said, and I'll never forget this. He's like, look, son, If you look for God exclusively in other people around you, you will ultimately be let down because humans are just that. They're human. They're flawed. Even people who say they believe in God, even people who actually believe in God will still mess up, will still make mistakes. And the encouragement my dad was making in my life, what I was taking away from what he was saying was like, keep your eyes fixed on the one who is perfect. And for me, there was just something powerful that helped me sort of give some grace for the people who were failing me, the people who were saying one thing and doing another, the people who were hurting my family as I'm looking at the church and say, okay, wait a minute, I'm going to dare to give this a try instead. I'm going to look to you, God, only because I know you're the only one who's not going to let me down, and I'm going to dare to believe that that's true. And I think ultimately that was a faith-saving conversation in my life. That's good. So learning how to give grace for other people and their flaws, and understanding that even people in the church, even leaders, guess what? We're, We're all figuring this out. None of us have it all together. If we did, we wouldn't need God. That's good stuff, John, man. I can't thank you enough for hanging with me. Dude, thank uh, you, man. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm guessing that it's 100 degrees in your studio by now because you had to turn the AC off and uh, you're ready to go hop in your San Diego pool. Just promise me this. When I come to San Diego, here's what I'd like to happen. If I come to San Diego and let's say I've got a day off on the road, 
I want you to take me to your barber, and I want to try to get a cool <laughs> haircut like yours. Well, my wife cuts my hair, so... Okay, well then, even better. That could be arranged. I'll pay her to cut my hair. <laughs> if you can schedule me in to create some film content, because you're incredibly gifted. Oh, thanks, man. Well, if this freaking virus ever goes away, <laughs> then you can tour again, and yeah. you know, maybe I'll get to come and see you at a show near here or something. Yeah, John, I really appreciate you. I'm glad we got to reconnect, and when you come to Nashville, we'll go have some lunch, but Let's do it, I man. think this was a really great conversation and I'm excited for people to hear it. Thanks so much, man. He's my dad and he gives good advice and that's why this final segment of today's bonus episode is called Dad Advice. He's my dad and he gives good advice and that's why this segment is called Dad Advice. Dad, after yesterday's main episode, the complaints have come rolling in by the thousands, I'm sure, people crying out, why was there no dad advice in yesterday's episode? And today, we're here to make it right. And there's a reason why I saved dad advice for the end of today's bonus episode. Now, this is the first time I've done a bonus episode since launching the podcast last month, but it was because my conversation with John Steingard just spilled over. You got a chance to listen to the conversation, right? Yes, I did, and it was very powerful. And, you know, I wanted to save your commentary for the actual end of the episode. You know, I just asked him about his Blue Couch story, and I just thought what John shared from a very honest place, it was really thought-provoking. It challenged me to dig in and really ask myself, am I doing the work as a believer to know what I believe and why I believe it? Can I give a defense for my faith? And so you being a pastor for over 40 years, I figured you could offer a really unique perspective on the conversation that John and I just had, but also what happens when people kind of have a crisis in their faith. For as many people as you've seen come to know Christ in your ministry, you've probably seen people walk away from their faith, turn away from their faith, or or just outright make a decision that they no longer believe in God. What are some of the things going on in people's lives that you've seen, some circumstances surrounding people who've made decisions like that? Well, in our observation and the many lives that we were able to interact with, we saw certain things that really put people in crisis of faith. And one was tragedies, a sudden death of a loved one, illness and injury, unanswered prayer, just the storms and trials of life that come, just devastating losses where they lost their job or lost their home, lost their health, so many things like that. We saw those go through the crisis of faith where they began to doubt. And we saw some of our youth go away to college and come back and and they let their parents know and let their pastor know that they don't believe anymore because of doubt and the things that were put in their mind. So the real challenge here, and it's not uncommon, and in these last days, we're all going to face a crisis of our faith, and we've got to be prepared and live our lives on a firm foundation, and there's a great scripture that Jesus shared himself in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, and he admonishes us to have a firm foundation, and he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Every crisis of faith did not 
destroy the house. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Having a firm foundation will keep our faith from crumbling when the storms come. So the two things that we need to quickly address here. One is, what do I believe? What do I believe? And let me challenge each of us right now to make knowing what we believe and why we believe it a priority because storms are going to come. And no matter how old you were when you accepted Christ, your faith is going to be put to the test. And some of us are going to maybe walk away, but we won't walk away if we have a firm foundation. So I want to challenge each of us again, knowing what we believe and why we believe it to make it as a priority. How do we do that? The church that I pastored in, we gave a course called The Fundamentals of the Faith, and it shared 16 Bible verses, 16 Bible basic doctrines that we need to believe in to have a firm foundation. They're all 16 Bible verses, not what man said, but what God's Word said. So I'd encourage each one out there to go to your church and find their fundamentals of the faith and study them and make that your firm foundation, every scripture verse. Meet with your pastor or a friend to discuss any questions you may have about believing and about the fundamentals of the faith. Join a Bible study that is teaching the facts of faith and the fundamentals of the faith again. And go over the Apostles' Creed. I know there are some churches that read this every Sunday and emphasize it more, but what it says is the basic doctrines of the faith, and that will help you. It'll give you the verses, and it'll it'll really strengthen your faith. So why is it important to know what I believe? Here are some quick things. So my faith will not be shaken when I face a storm. So I don't give up on God when I am filled with doubt. These are all the things we've talked about in the beginning. So I can share my faith with others in confidence. And so that God's word will be hidden in my heart to remind me that he's real and he's alive in me so that I won't sin. Dad, what are some materials that you would point someone to, someone who's trying to figure out what they believe or they want to gain a greater understanding of Christianity Or if they're just trying to figure out, do they believe that God is real or not? Obviously, Scripture, the Bible, you quote Scripture like few people I know, and the importance of Scripture, and Scripture calls us to live by faith, Yes, right? There is an element of faith here. John talked about Thomas in our interview together, and he talked about, you know, Thomas was the one who had to see the nail-scarred hands and the piercing in Jesus' side. We don't get that. You know, we get the words in red, we get the words in black and red, and that requires faith. But are there some other books beyond the Bible that you would point to that would be great for people to dig in and really help understand what they believe and why? There's a book entitled The Case for Christ, written by Lee Strobel, who was an atheist and who searched for the truth and found Jesus Christ. And for a lot of people struggling, does God exist, all that, and they need some proof, and that would be an excellent book to read. And then another book is by Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Just, again, another 
lots of spiritual truths and practical teaching that would help someone when they're going through that uh, doubting period and that crisis of their faith and whether they believe or not, or does God even exist? That's great, Dad. What's a final takeaway that you would want to give to somebody who's in that place right now, just kind of wondering what they believe, not sure if this whole God thing is real? What would you share? I would share with them that a lot of times there just aren't concrete answers for the questions we have, especially when it comes to God. And I think the enemy of our souls wants to just put all kinds of doubt, all kinds of things in our mind to draw us away from him. But that's where just childlike faith comes in, and that if you give God a chance, he will come with the questions. He will show you himself and answer your questions in his time. And again, I would leave with this verse, Hebrews eleven six, and it's one of my life verses, without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Dad, that's such a good word. And just like that scripture said, I have seen you diligently seek God for so long, and it's such an inspiration to me. I know that your faith in God is not a blind faith. It's not an uneducated faith. It's a deep conviction that God is real. And we have seen God show up in our lives and in our family time and time again to the point where we can no longer deny his existence. And that's why you and I are both spending our lives telling a world that needs hope, that they can find hope in Jesus. I'll close today's bonus episode with this quote from C.S. Lewis. I thought it was fitting. He wrote, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. I hope my conversation with John Steingard and my dad's dad vice, and even songs from the story house talking about truth be told, I hope these all blend together to challenge you today, to live your life with eyes wide open, to ask God to show you where he is. Maybe even if there's a troubling place in your past, a part of your story where you wonder where he was, go to him with that question. Just as we've talked about, God can handle your questions, and he promises that if we seek him, we will find him when we seek him with all of our hearts. I want to thank my guest, John Steingard. I want to thank my dad for an awesome dad vice segment, and I want to thank you for listening. I hope you leave today inspired to know that your life is a story, and the best chapters of your story are ready to be written right now. Let it begin today. Live your life with eyes wide open, and may you see God everywhere. I'll see you next week on the Matthew West Podcast. I really hope you like it. <laughs> but seriously, I, I, I do.